Welcome to the Iceman, a podcast sponsored by Tuned Up Custom Rods. And today we are joined in our studio by a super special guest. We've got Adam Audette here. And Adam, you are half of the Tuned Up team. I am. I uh, Do I have to pay you for that intro, you know, the super special guest? Well, you, you uh, bought these microphones, so, so oh, I appreciate okay. that. Yeah. <laughs> not, not a problem. Yeah, yeah I'm glad I uh, could sit down and do this and... I think it's a good thing, guys. Yeah. So you've been, you and John have been partners now. This is the 10th year of the company, right? It is the 10th year. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's hard to imagine. 10 years is. It's a long time. Uh, A lot of ups and downs, a lot of what in the world are we doing? How in the world are we going to do it? And with family members coming on and friends coming on and friends of friends, and Mm -hmm. it just kind of spiraled into what we've got right now. And it's a great thing. And I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think there's been hardly ever times where you've had to like post a job uh, ad. No. Like, you've no. never had to look for people. People come looking for us. And yeah. I think that's awesome. That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's how I'm here. Yeah. Came begging are. for a job and that, it worked out kind of. I you mean, didn't come begging for a job. You came for a discount and then you happened to get a job. Well, I knew how to get a discount. <laughs> I got a discount by getting a job and it's been a financial disaster ever since. <laughs> it's a black hole of your wallet. It Dan. really is. I don't think we pay you. I think you end up paying us at the end of the month. All I know is that if you have a job where your boss tells you to bring your wallet when you come in, that's usually a bad <laughs> sign. <laughs> but I've definitely had that happen a few times. That's okay though. Yep. But that's pretty neat. I mean, for the production level that you guys have and for the number of products that you kick out and for, I mean, just the, the market span, it's remarkable that you don't have people that you have to go find. No, no. And, and, you know, you touched on the volume of, of rods that we're putting out. I mean, to back pedal a little bit, John and I at one point had no idea how we were ever going to put out 50, right. 50 ice rods. Mm-hmm. 50. We were working night and day to produce 10. And it was wrapped in a basement, and it, it took forever. Yeah. Well, and that's it's hard to imagine how long it takes to build one. I mean, they're not easy to, and quick to build. No. There's there's a lot of hands that touch it. I mean, here now, there's probably seven to eight sets of hands that touch one rod. But then it was John, my dad, and I. Yeah. And that was it. Mm-hmm. That was it. And we were doing everything. Granted, we didn't have the volume that we have now, but still. But you had to invent them still. I we mean, did. You, you you didn't you weren't just you know going to a store and buying parts. No. You were inventing things. Correct. We were. And that's we I mean that really is what has allowed the growth to happen. Yeah. I mean, it was a point where we weren't shipping stuff. We were. I mean, we did, but we were. Deli- I remember delivering rods to guys at bars. I'm a, hey, I'm on my lunch break. Can you deliver it here? Sure, yeah. not a problem. And we'd make it work. And we were hand-delivering a lot of rods too. But now, yeah, it's uh, it's pretty fun to look back and see where we were and, and where we're at now. Do you remember the days of the wooden wrappers that we used to use, oh my the hand goodness. wrappers? We used to wrap rods, I mean, just rolling them in our fingertips. And it was... It was the I worst. I can't even imagine. It the- was the worst. Doing a noodle tip on one of those was a nightmare. It was impossible. It was absolutely impossible. And it was... Uh, a little spool with uh, a bolt through it and a spring for your tensioner and a wing nut. And you had to tighten that down mm-hmm. and then and then hold the tension with one hand and still manage to do your ties and your cuts and everything else without letting go. Because if you let go of the rod, guess what? It all, un- it all comes on. It all unwound, yeah. So, I mean, that must have really affected your ability to have, like, high-quality control. I mean, you had mm-hmm. to... 
No, no. We I just mean, got really good at rapping on wood. But yeah, sticks. I mean, it's, you don't have the mechanical advantage. It's you have to, you have to be perfect, right? Well, and I, I think the biggest thing why we went to the more of the power wrappers is otherwise we would have all ended up with carpal tunnel. Oh tires. yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. Even yeah. the even the the mechanical wrappers, it's not easy to wrap a rod. That's what I started doing, and it was. I remember the first night I came in here, Adam. You were like, you showed me how to do it. You're yeah. like, here's what you do. Here's how you here's how you wrap a rod, and I, and I was, um, I started on a, a stiffer rod because it was simpler, and I got done with that night, and I got one rod done. Yeah, one. Yeah. And I was sitting next to Chris, who is the lead rapper and the rapper extraordinaire, and he had like fourteen that he had done <laughs> in that time period, and I was like, I'm never gonna ever make any money here. There's no, I mean, I can never ever get to that point. You still don't make any money here. I, yeah, well, <laughs> I know, but it did, it is a skilled labor job. It is. It's it, not, it's not a just show up and you can do it. It's an art form really. Yeah. Uh, you know, you, you need to practice. It's a lot of muscle memory. Um, but once you get it dialed in, guys are doing six, seven rods an hour and, yeah. and, that's, and pumping them out. And at that point, you know, when you get really good at it, you're really consistent and, you know, the, you can, um, you know, when I was in my prime, when I was rapping quite a bit, I, I remember I could go into a store and I could see rods and I'd be like, I, that's the one I did. Mm-hmm. You know, you can kind of see that because everyone has their kind of own individual little style, even though they're all basically the same, but right. yeah, it's, it's, uh, that's hard to understand, and it's hard to see that, you know, when you talk about a custom rod, it, it's it's a person doing every single step. Yes, there's nothing that's done by a machine. It, there's there's hands at every single step. And they're not, like, small steps. I mean, a rod takes 15 minutes to wrap. Uh, it takes, you know, 25, 30 minutes to, to finish, and then it has to sit for an hour, or for a day, excuse me. Yep. There's, the process is big. Yep. It's a big process. Yep. It is. Definitely. Definitely. I can't help but say I'm distracted by these uh, these lights. I know that people can't see these <laughs> lights that we've got going on in here, but dude, it makes you look like a Smurf right now with these blue. <laughs> does it does it drown out my blue eyes? Yeah. No, it, yes. It, you, you got to definitely have the Smurf look going. We can we Better? can change them yeah, to there white. You go. white now eyes. you just look. Now you just look. Creepy. Now I just look like me. Remember when you were a kid, you stick the flashlight and stick it underneath your your chin and and come up to people in the middle of the night. That's kind of what yeah. you got going on right now, Dan. Let's see if I can make it even creepier. This is great radio content, by the way. I think it is. We Absolutely. have to turn all the lights off in the studio because the lights make noise. So we got these LEDs going here. <laughs> Someday we'll we'll let you guys see. Is that better? Awesome. Now you can see that my eyes are actually blue. Yes. There's no blue filter anymore. So how how did you decide ice rods? Or how did you decide fishing rods in general? Like where in your mind would you think, this is what I want to do? Well, I know that John... Um touched on his background and mm-hmm. building rods yeah and that's kind of where it started because he when he was dating my sister um built me a rod for my birthday sure and i thought it was awesome and i've never had a, a high-end totally custom rod for me mm-hmm. um and i said why can't we do this ourselves why can't we jump in and and, and make this happen so he said yeah sure let's let's try it and then it just kind of spun from there i mean we had we had people helping us in different directions. Our, believe it or not, that awesome fish that we've got was a senior college project of a friend of mine. The the logo, the, the logo, the fish our design. logo. Yeah. Yes, our fish logo was a senior 
uh, marketing or um, graphic design project for um, Mankato State University. Yeah. And he came up with our logo. We told him kind of what we wanted. You know how the Browning logo's got the – you, you know what the yep. Browning logo is, the right? The deer. Yep, the deer. That was what I, what I pressed on him. I said, I want something that's going to look – that people are going to see that logo and know what it is without any words. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I think he, I think he, he did it. You know, you look close, you look close, and John and I. Let's take a step back. John and I are, are we're car guys at, at the time, and yep. still are. So when your car is tuned up, it's running at peak performance, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of where the name came from. The rod is tuned up; it's it's peak performance. It's the best of the best. So if you look at the fish logo, you see the crescent wrench in the mouth, and the box wrench in the tail, and the. Yep. And the uh, the uh, bolt in the eye, so I, a lot of people don't pick up on that. And why did, why is it tuned up? And that's the reason why it's tuned up. So, yeah, um, but I think that fish is iconic. I think that it is. There's a lot of fish logos out there, but that's a different that that one stands out. Yeah, and it does allow it to stand on its own. It's almost like kind of like a Nike swoosh type of deal where people yeah. recognize the fish as the company. Yeah. Anybody can put a walleye on their, on their, their brand or a, or a Northern, right. But mm-hmm. let's do something unique. You know, what kind of fish is it? It's, it's not, it's, it's our fish. It's made up, you Yeah, know? but it's cool. And going back to the beginning, you know, I don't want to put words or, or, um, you know, history into your mouth, but I always saw you as kind of like the, the visionary, like you had the drive to to bring it to a a big audience. Yeah, I I always wanted to go big, and yeah. and I still want to go bigger. Yeah. Um. Because why not? Why not see how big you can make something? I mm-hmm. mean, that's that's the cool part about what we've done, starting a business from the ground up. Is let's let's see how big and how far we can take this thing. And and you know there were there were there were struggles, there were pulls here and there, and and and. I still want to be bigger. I my goal is to be the biggest ice fishing and and rod company around. I yeah. mean, there, there's big boys out there, there's big players, but what, why why can't we? Why not? Everybody yeah. else started off the same way we did. Why can't we get there too? Yeah, exactly. St. Christ started in a basement. Harley Davidson started in a garage. It's a lot of big companies start really really small. Yeah. Exactly. I think that's amazing. And, you know, for me, when I was a, just a customer, I, I really did appreciate that aspect of, of starting small, starting family, building up, and now, now being in the, in the company and, and watching it from the inside. Um, you know, just the process that you, you both have decided on, on how you want to grow, I think, is, I think it's really interesting. You know, because some people, you could go out and take out a giant business loan and, and build a beautiful building and have the fanciest, shiniest things, mm-hmm. but that's not going to guarantee you success. No. It, that'd be a millstone around you for the rest of, for the rest of forever. Right. Right. Yep. Where you guys decided to be really thoughtful, really consistent, and just, you know, really take things step by step in a logical way. It was extremely gradual. And Sometimes it was almost painful on my end because I want to go zero to 70 like that. Mm-hmm. But I had to realize that, hey, we need to take baby steps here. And, and I had uh, um, I had a guy by the name of Tom Newstrom tell me that once that, hey, you guys have a great thing going here, but take baby steps. Don't, don't, don't try to hit that home run right away. Just mm-hmm. take baby steps, give yourself a good foundation, and keep working off of that. And, and I feel that we've done that. Yeah. Well, and starting with such, uh, you know, an exceptional product is huge, 
right? So you have you already have something that you know people want, mm-hmm. and then developing a process mm-hmm. that you can that you can work with and yep. that you can produce at the level that you want to be at, and then surrounding yourself with the people. That's, yep. I mean, that's the recipe. Yep. Well, we've always had the 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 family mentality. You know, I, I know that we've mentioned that John and I are our in laws, and and it started as a family business. It still is a family business, but we bring that mentality into everybody who comes to work for us too. And I think that we've done a pretty good job. I think everybody feels pretty much that this is a family environment, and and if you got something to say, say it. Exactly. And at the same time, you know that if you had something that you want to say, you're respected. Yeah. You know, you know that it's I think so. It's a reciprocated feeling, yeah. which I think is I mean, for me, uh, it's a it's a refreshing it's a refreshing attitude to to be a part of. It's not really a linear type boss to employee relationship. It's everybody's kind of everybody's yeah. in the same family whether you're the first cousin or the last cousin. It doesn't matter. Your say is just as important as everyone else's. Mm-hmm. And that, yeah. And, and to be a person who's not obviously the, one of the bosses, it does, it does feel that way. It feels supportive. It feels, it feels comfortable that way, which I mean, it should, it should. Let's be real. We're talking about fishing rods here, right? And I know I've said it a thousand times. This is a recreational activity. Mm-hmm. It's supposed to be fun. Yeah. And you can make it an absolute pain in the rear end, but it should be fun. We're, we're, we're dealing with fishing rods here. We're not yeah. dealing in, in hearts and lungs, you know, you're not going to die if you don't get your rod in, in two days. Although some people may think that. I was going to say our customers would say otherwise. <laughs> I'd, <laughs> I'd say otherwise. I've felt that way before. We've, we've had some, I personally had some arguments with people about weeks um, that are three days long and they expect their rod in eight days. Th- that is a good sign where people are chomping at the bit. Yep. Oh yeah, absolutely. You, you know, having, having that, they're they're anxious. They want they they're super pumped, and I've I've felt that same way. Well, and you know what? To piggyback on that, we've taken steps this season to hopefully ensure that people can get their hands on a rod in a very timely manner. It may not be a custom rod, but we have busted butt in the shop, and by we I mean the guys who are building, who are who are overseeing the processes. Um, they have busted butt all summer long to build up a good inventory mm-hmm. uh, for us to be able to tackle this upcoming ice season. Yeah, um, and and I think people are going to be very surprised and very happy that they're going to be able to get rods in a in a pretty quick uh, short order. Yeah, and you know we're just launching a, a brand new website, which is going to make that customer interface just a a lot simpler. Speaking of launching new things, uh, I believe today a post went out uh, about our new ice rod this year. Yeah. The Vulcan rod. The Vulcan. <laughs> that has been in the works for a long time. It, uh, three, four years, John? Yeah, it was actually a proto- a long time standing prototype that was, um, it, it kind of floated around the shop. People got to fish with it. it no one was really... You know, it was like we weren't really excited about it. We tweaked just one little thing, and it made it kind of a magical stick for iFish pros, and I yeah. use it for laker fishing in Ontario, and it worked wonderful for that. I had it on on uh, uh, Winnipeg last year for big trophy walleye. Just, but the great thing is you don't need it for those big fish either. If if you fish with a commander rod, think of it as a commander with a slower action. It so it's a little bit more. 
it's a little softer, a little more forgiving. So you've got, you hook into a big fish and you got a lot of head, head shakes. This is going to give you that extra cushion so mm-hmm. that that hook doesn't get popped out of its mouth. Yeah. If you're fishing something deep, it'll let you play it a lot, a lot smoother. It's not right. going to be as, as violent. Right. And let's talk about the sexy redness of this thing. It is, Dude. it is a transparent red. Yeah. And it just glows. It does. You put it in the sun and it glows. I mean, all you... I've never seen anything like it before. No, nah, it's it's pretty sweet. Everybody thought it should be like a... They think it looks like a lightsaber, and nah, don't get me wrong, I am not a Star Wars guy. And if you are, <laughs> good for you. That's awesome. It is a, it's, it is a lightsaber. It is but the first so thing cool. I did when I saw that blank was I put a flashlight at the bottom to see if I could make it glow. Of course you did. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't work, unfortunately. <laughs> so, no, it's going to be an awesome rod. Uh, it was tested very hard by our pro staff this year, uh, or excuse me, last winter. Mm -hmm. And I think it's, I think, I know there's going to be a lot of happy customers. I've been fortunate to be here for two product launches for uh, my first time. First year here was the fusion. Okay. And then the Vulcan starting this year. And man, it's exciting. It's exciting to be on that, on that front end, you know, to have a Mm -hmm. secret, to Mm -hmm. to know something and you can't, can't talk about it. Um, that's, that's fun. And, uh, yeah, just I I'm stoked for the way people experience that rod. I'm ex- I'm excited to see what people do with it, and yeah, that's going to be a special special deal. Yeah, and you know the nice part too is that it comes in a variety of lengths, so you can fish it outside or the kind of ice fishing that I enjoy doing is sitting in a wheelhouse and sitting back with a cold bush light and <laughs> putting my feet up in my slippers. So yeah, you know one of our pro staff, Jason Shotty. He uh, um, always has got a house ready for me. If I call him up and say, hey, I want to go fishing, where's your house at, man? And it's always heated and ready to go and drive up out of my heated truck into the heated wheelhouse and put the football game on the TV. That's my I kind of fishing. I, I think I might be doing fishing wrong. I yeah, think I was say my, my trips are never like that. That it's, sounds very that sounds very different from the way I do it. I, I kind of like that idea. It's a fantastic idea. I might need to get Jason's number. Hey. Actually, I'll probably you'll probably be using it when I want to go there, but that's all right. That's awesome. More the merrier. Yeah, with that extra length on that Vulcan, you can sit there on the couch and absolutely be cozy. And yep, yep. And I hear he's getting a new fish house this year, so it's supposed to be bigger than the one he has. So uh, he better have my seat set aside <laughs> and the whole just put in the right spot on the floor. You just want like a rope in front of it, just says reserved for Adam. Yeah, exactly. You, no one touched that one. Little little snack bowl next to it, just there ready, you go. ready to go with some saran wrap and just pull off. Perfect. Always perfectly chilled bush lights are here. Right hey. next to you. <laughs> That's awesome. So one of the things that I always really appreciated about and about the shop that I, I guess I don't know appreciate it is maybe the right way to say it, but that I always found was fascinating and that I like is that there's no full-time employees. I mean, there's a couple that are full-time during the day, but almost everyone who's here is here on the side. And that's the same for you. Mm -hmm. So what is your full-time gig? So what I call my paycheck job, your paycheck, my paycheck job is uh, I work for a company called SCS cases (sighs) and we are a technical packaging partner of Pelican cases and SKB cases. Uh, so if you've seen any audio video equipment in the black, uh, injection molded cases with the custom foam on the inside, that's what I do. Mm-hmm. Um, you come to me with a part or, um, a gun or 
a warhead sure a warhead that yeah (laughs) that's what i always think of when i see those cases we've done indycar turbos we've done cadaver parts in there we've done medical devices um gas mass filtration units i mean you name it and we've we've put it in a case um so it's it's fun every day is different um and uh, I get some cool, uh, cool benefits of it. So you know, some sample cases here and there, and those things uh, are like indestructible. They're awesome. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. They are. I think Pelican should come out with an ice rod case that's oh like gosh. bulletproof and weighs. You have to like, weighs forty five. Yeah, pounds. you have to bring a dolly with you to yeah. get it to your ice. Yes, yeah. Well, they've got the case. So all we got to do is design the interior. Let's do it. We can make that up. That's well, I no think problem. when I think I remember, didn't you ship rods in the Pelican case up to people who wrapped in colleges? <laughs> yeah. So. Let's not talk about that because I freaked out one of my <laughs> BAE friends and threw him on the side of the ditch and took a picture and yeah. asked him, you know, so, I, I found these cases in the, laying in the road and he immediately called me and was yelling at me. I yeah. had sample cases that were from a, they were built originally for rocket launchers. Yeah. And the case is great because it's a rotomoldy case, super heavy duty. And when we sent it off at uh, UPS... We knew that the rods would arrive safely, but uh, yeah, that's what it was. It was uh, it was the, used at one point. Are they still for, here? They're here. Yeah, yeah they're yeah. in the back. Yeah. yeah, I remember those things. I came in. I'm like, what is going on here? Mm-hmm. That, I think that story about just freaking out your buddy at BAE is hilarious. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, the guy never responds to a text within a month, and then he, you know, you send him a picture, and he calls you within two seconds, <laughs> asking exactly where your coordinates were. And I'm like, oh man, just relax. Stand and then down. I had to, I did have to t- open them up and take a picture of them to make sure they weren't legit. Yeah, because he did not believe me. That's hilarious. So you've been doing that for a while, right? Yeah, I've been I've been doing that for uh, gosh six years, coming up on seven years now. That's crazy. So yeah, it's fun. And I was I mentioned in an earlier episode that my connection with you is you used to work with my brother. I did, I did at uh, an auto parts company called yeah. Stemf Automotive, and <laughs> we, the, the hijinks you guys got into. Oh my goodness. I don't know how we did not get fired because... You must have produced well. We did, of course. Yeah. Of course. Dan, do you know who I am? Come on, man. Do you know who I am? <laughs> I've heard that before. <laughs> uh, no, yeah, it was fun. I worked with, I worked with John and uh, John Baker, not John Burback. Um, and yeah, we had, we had a great time. Somehow we managed to get our work done and, and not get fired. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was a fun environment to, to be in. So that sales industry, you know, that stem fifth sales and then mm-hmm. your current deal sales. And that's a, a job that I have a real hard time putting my mind around just, well, you have to be given the gift of bullshit. Yeah. And I was given the gift of bullshit. Yeah. So, um, Yeah. That's that's ninety percent of the job is being able to talk and and do it the right way and and not be a snake oil salesman. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a lot of people who try to sell stuff that uh, are just trying to make a quick buck instead of worrying about taking care of your customers and and being concerned that um, being concerned for that they're being that they're satisfied. Mm-hmm. But so, that kind of comes with having good. You know, a good product base too. Stem fed good automotive products. Yep. The Pelican cases are phenomenal. Tuned up rods are really good. Yep. Um, I would imagine it would be really tough if you worked at a place that you didn't believe in. Yep. Yeah, you're selling like Chevy Corsicas. <laughs> Someone like those. Hey, don't knock oh, that. Yeah. That was one of my. That was my wife Shauna's first car. I think. <laughs> they were terrible. It was a Corsica. <laughs> they were terrible. I believe she named it Corey. Corey the Corsica. <laughs> I dated a girl who used to have one with 
move. Not Shauna, though. No. I dated a girl with ones that had, she had cow cover car seats, and her car was white. It looked like a, a sheep or some awful farm animal that's, all the time. That's awful. Shauna's interior was that, remember that red? It wasn't crushed velvet, but it kind of looked like crushed red velvet that the yeah. Chevys used to have. Yep. That was the interior of that car. Yeah. Producer Tom, do you remember what, we had a, a Chevy at one point, right? Remember that one that dad bought from Miss G? Oh, yeah. I don't remember what the, uh, was it a Corsica? It might have been a Corsica. It and, I, a, and it had that red, that red velvety interior. It was a $300 vehicle, and it lasted, it was a tank. It lasted for Forever. years. Forever. Forever and ever. Yeah, we were not good to that car. Wait, let's back up. You said producer Tom. How come he gets a title? Where, where, what the heck? Sorry. I, I guess I do. I'm, I'm the super special guest. Yeah, the super special guest. Oh, great. You're the Thank owner you. of the company. Come on, man. <laughs> we're in your building. Next time, I'll just call him Tommy. There you go. <laughs> I think that might have been a Corsica. I think you're right. I think you're right. And uh, I was expecting to actually drive that car when I turned 16. and It almost made it. It almost made it. And it was, I think we got that like when I was like around 10 or 11. So well, we I mean, bought it from our preschool teacher. Yep. So, yeah, that thing. And it was a two-door, wasn't it? Nope. No, it was, was a sedan. Was it a four-door? It, it was a sedan. Yep. And the doors were like a foot wide, though. They were. I mean, there's four of us in our family, four boys and How my mom and dad. How in the world did you guys fit in there? The car that we, my dad drove was a, a, a single cab Ford F-150. You boys are not small boys. How did you fit in there? We didn't. We rode in the bed. <laughs> I was going to say, you all rode in the bed. <laughs> we, he had a top run, and back in the day when people didn't care if you did that, we'd like literally bring couches or, or like, uh, chairs in there and ride in it. That, well, he had a Datsun before that. Yeah, a, like a little Datsun with the two little jump seats in the back, and all four of us would be in there. We'd stand, we'd all stand Th- in the this back. This is this is not true. This can't it be true. It's a hundred percent true. We'd true story. my Just mom and dad come up in the trunk. My mom and dad would sit in the front seat, and all four of us would stand behind the bench seat. The jump seats were folded up, and we were all just standing in the back. Yeah, the true story. I mean, we this weren't. Is, this is before it, Karens were around. Yeah, yeah. This yeah. Is to call you out. Any well, of us are alive. My mom would have been Karen if that at the time, but no, it was. Uh, <laughs> this is raised in the eighties, right there. We were not old. I mean, dude, I, I remember the station wagons. We used to sit in the back, over the top of the gas tank, yeah. facing backwards constantly. Uh, your wife sat in the back once after a Pizza Hut buffet when we were little, and she puked over everybody in the back of that, <laughs> and nobody could do anything because everybody's seatbelted in, and my cousin goes, she's puking, she's puking, and it's just everywhere, and it was awful. It was That's because you're riding backwards in the car. It screws with your she brain. She still puked pizza yeah. everywhere. It was And you awful. got the exhaust coming in. Oh, my God. She's going to love the fact that I brought that story up, too, isn't Sorry. she? Sorry, Liz. Can't wait <laughs> for that. There's I'm going pl- to play this podcast every night for her. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can't imagine what uh, kids are going to think. That's hilarious. No. Uh, Speaking of kids, um, I know, I mean, I have to respect you for this, but you're a coach, and you got to talk about that because <laughs> that has probably been one of the weirdest things this year, especially, to be a coach. Yeah, so I coach traveling baseball for Brooklyn Park, the uh, 11U team, and I uh, and I coach uh, the sixth grade uh, football team as well for Brooklyn Park, which have not lost a game in three years because we're awesome like that, and we treat them like Friday night lights. And you guys go big. I mean, we do. You 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 coach hard. We do. We do. Yeah, I I just came from practice actually right now and i told you guys earlier i'm surprised my voice isn't cracking right now because uh hey but people some people look at it and say what you know what are you doing well 
then I guess you shouldn't be on our football team because I'm trying to raise young men here. I'm not trying to raise, you know, uh, soft. Yeah. You, you want patch you want on your back and it's okay. And participation medal kind of, kind of boys. I'm trying to raise good young men that are going to be contributors to our society. And, and I think we're, we're heading in the right direction with that. So, yeah. um, and you know, if some of them might find that sports aren't going to be their thing and if that's the case, that's fine. They still got a couple of years of experience under it and, yeah, well, we've been fortunate, you know, for our football team the last three years, we've had 20 out of our 25 boys return uh, every year. So I, I think that's, that says something for what we're doing and um, winning obviously solves a lot of things, mm-hmm. but we've got, I try to instill in these boys a, a family mentality that you can't just take on things by yourself. You got to have a family, whether that's at home, whether that's your group of friends or your, your football team. Um, but it, it, it's everybody, including moms, dads, aunts, uncles, grandmas, grandpas, brothers, sisters, everybody in the stands has a family mentality. Everybody on the field has a family mentality. It doesn't matter if you're white, black, yellow, blue, green. Um, everybody has a family mentality. The back of our shirts say family across the back. And I think that's a, a huge a huge plus to have that, um, that camaraderie, that, uh, that knowing that you can lean on anybody on that team. Um, and that's what I'm trying to instill in these boys and, it, and it's shining through. And there are people who come from backgrounds where they don't have somebody who's pushing them like that, or they don't have that family that they can rely on. So being yeah. able to, being able to give that for the time that you're with them, that's, huge for those kids yeah well i enjoy it you know it i I enjoy being that that strong male role model in their Mm -hmm. lives um a a lot of my uh i shouldn't say a lot but some of the players need some extra discipline and you know what i give it to them and it's it's not it's not belittling it's not out of out of anger it's it's trying to instill good values and 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 hard work and uh, it, it pays off. It, they, they see that it pays off. We put up 565 points last year and only gave up 35. And I, I mean, I see it in the classroom. Yeah. That there are kids who crave discipline. Absolutely. They, they sometimes seek to be disciplined just to know that they're cared for. Yeah. And well, it shows some affection in, in a way. It's a lot I mean? easier like, not to care. Yeah. Way easier not to care. And these kids, they, they just... If, depends on what upbringing they have or what their home life is like. They, they need that. Yep. They need that attention. They need to someone know, to, to, to care. Know, to know that you care enough to get mad or care enough to want them to be better at something, that's a gigantic part of what they need. I always tell them, hey, look, I'm yelling at you because I know you can do it. Mm-hmm. If I knew that you couldn't do it, I wouldn't be barking at you. Exactly. So fix it. Yep, exactly. <laughs> and I, I'm sure that that motivates them. You yeah, know, they probably they probably think I, you know, coach coach Adet thinks I can do it. I'm going to try harder. Yeah, absolutely. Or they think I'm going to shut this guy up. Yeah, and I'm going to show him. And either way, it works. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. That's that drill sergeant mentality, right? Kind of. Yeah. They're going to either hate me or they're going to love me. Either way, right. they're going to work. That's right. I was I was never in the military, but I kind of. Yeah, drill sergeant is a is a good way to put it. <laughs> I mean, uh, I was just referencing Major Payne the movie. But. Oh, there you go. <laughs> I mean, there there have been times where I've gotten upset at my team and taken a timeout in the middle of the game and made them do push-ups in the middle of the field because they jumped off sides twice and that shouldn't happen. Yeah. But well, but that stuff works. I it mean, does. And, and that's like a, a direct consequence. It does. I mean, I remember playing youth football in 4th and 5th grade, our defensive lineman coach used to have a hockey stick. 
And if we get up a little too high, he'd smack us in the head. Obviously, you can't do that now. But why I mean, not? He would crack us hard <laughs> enough. I remember he broke a hockey stick over a kid's head because he got up like four times in a row too high. You got a helmet on. It still hurts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I mean, st- stuff like that. I mean, that he showed that he cared. He wanted to be the best we could. Right. But that, uh, you know, getting your ass chewed like that, that's something that is necessary. Oh, especially I mean, I, at that age. I, I remember mean, that in youth sports in high school. I remember my high school coach ripping my face off one time, and I I needed it. I remember my high school football coach, Bob Jackson, um, God rest his soul, but uh, the, the guy would call me on the voicemail box like 61 times in the summer because I was out fishing and playing around. You mean answering machine? <laughs> yeah, sorry. The, the voicemail box. Whatever that thing was. <laughs> Well, no one knows what it is anymore. Yeah, the answering machine that we all used to have with the little tape. Um, and he would call, and like the first 10 messages were nice. And after that, it was like literally listening to some old guy scream at me. Because you're not in the weight room. Because I'm not, not in the weight room. Yeah. I'm like, dude, I'm fishing. Answering machine. If you, I asked my kids the other day, hey, you know, how do, how do you answer the phone, right? And when we were kids, it was it was your, your pinky and your thumb, and you held it up to your... I said, how do you answer the phone? And my daughter, Lucy, she takes her hand flat and sticks it up to her ear. Man. they don't know what a phone is. Man, and how old is she? How old is she? Uh, Lucy's nine. Yeah. Just yeah. remember, we didn't have internet when we started. Yeah, I know. Like, it didn't exist. Nope. Well, I opened my first uh, email account when I was a senior in high school. I was, like... We're not the same age. We've, we've I was going to say, like, I was, like, 2005. I opened my first email account in college oh, for well, Facebook. Yeah, I opened it in... 1999 in high school. But I didn't need an email address for anything. I don't even remember why I did. But anyways, yeah, it's the the youth have a very different upbringing. They do. I mean, you talk about things that are very like make a lot of sense to us, like the idea of a pager. No clue. Oh, you they, you were cool if you had a pager. I definitely had a pager, I but a I pager. wasn't cool. Do you have that? Do you have that gold <laughs> chain that went from the pager to your to your belt loop too? I did not have the chain. <laughs> nope. I just had a nice nice little clip. I must be a little younger than you guys because I do not really remember pagers. I remember seeing them, but I do not remember. I had a pager in high school, and I remember the big thing was people would they wouldn't you know you it was designed where they'd call the pager and then leave their phone number and you'd call them back, but. Mm-hmm. Then they'd type the messages into them, and it was just a string of numbers, and then you had to go to a phone and look at what numbers and letters correspond with each other and try to figure out what the messages were. I would have punched my friend in the throat if he would have done that. Oh, my gosh. We did that all the time. Like, that's, that like was, primitive te- that's like primitive text messages. Yeah. It was like the, a combination of like the decoder box in the back of a, of a peanut butter Captain Crunch and, uh, and a text message. That sounds horrible. It was, I mean... Nope. It sounds horrible. I... It was better than getting a letter. I mean, what are you going to do? That's the way it was. Hmm. I'm not, I mean, I'm not that much older than both of you. you it's a damn near stone tablets. <laughs> 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 oh, let's put hieroglyphs on it and, and mail it by, by it Paul was, Revere. You, okay. There's going to be people listening to this who are going to be like, yeah, I know exactly what he's talking about. Yeah, you'd get the 19-letter or 19-number message, and you'd go figure out what it said. And they always ended in nine one one if it was urgent. If it was urgent, yeah, nine one one was the was the page hmm. that meant call me right away. Yep. And then if you were the jerk who put nine one one and it wasn't an emergency, you lost all cred. No one cared anymore. Super glad I didn't grow up in this generation. <laughs> How old are you? <laughs> Not that old. <laughs> Thirty five. So you're five years younger than me. 
And yeah, it's still that lost? My, How old are you, Adam? I'm 38. So we're almost exactly. I just same like thing. to pick on you, Dan. That's right. that's that's the bottom line. I just think it's fun to pick on you. So you must have seen pagers. Well, we I've seen them like in history books. <laughs> that's fair. Whatever. Yeah, times are different. The ki- like so, even I shouldn't even just say the kids today don't understand pagers. The giant adult next to me doesn't understand. You know pagers what we didn't anymore. have when I was a kid, and I talked to you guys about this before, was freaking quick trips. Can I just tell you how awesome? The the rib sandwich at Quick Trip is Quick Trip is the best store in the market. Just so we're clear, we have no affiliation with Quick Trip whatsoever. Not yet. And not, I, not sponsored by. And Quick not Trip. yet. Quick Trip. And, yeah, are and, you listening to this Quick Trip? <laughs> all I got to say is that after listening to Paul Allen, Paul Allen on his K Fan podcast, it, it was uh, go get the the rib sandwich at, and I did, and I'm I'm hooked You're now. Hooked. Yeah. See, I went to college in Winona. And Quick Trips from the Cross. Okay. Right? So that, it, they're there. Like, yeah. That was their home market. And when I was in, in Winona, we would, we'd walk to Quick Trip. I mean, it was open 24 hours. So we'd walk there at like four in the morning and buy like the three for one hot dogs. What were you doing at four in the morning? Walking to a gas station? Getting three for one hot dogs. Oh. That's a dangerous, those three for hot one hot dogs or four for one hot dogs. Was that to soak up some bush light? They, no. There was no, there was no, uh. Bush light involved there. We were very, uh, we were very astute. We were tired because we were studying so hard. So Liar. We had, to, we had to go. We had to go re- recharge. But <laughs> <laughs> quick trips were everywhere. They, that was the thing. And then when I started, you know, as they started to creep north, um, I remember because a friend of mine was in marketing and in Winona, and, and the quick trip guy came and talked to him and said that they would never build a a building that was more than one day away from their headquarters. Interesting. So that's that's why they're that's why they haven't moved very far because they huh. always want their stuff to be fresh. Sure. Huh. It's it, fresh. It's true. But it, it is has changed the gas station thoughts for me. Like you can go there and you get fresh donuts. It's not Yep. If looking back when I was a kid, you go up to the Freedom gas station, you get some donuts and they were two weeks old. Oh yeah. They sell live bait at Quick Trip. They do. Yeah, they do. That's one of the places I stop in the winter because I always have mealworms. I remember they used to sell the cheapest milk. They still do. It's a buck ninety nine. But it used to be in a bag. They still it, sell bag milk. Do they milk. still have bag they, milk? They still have bag milk. It's and did they have cheaper the, to... Do they have the pitcher too? Yep. Oh yeah. That's not did. They do. It's there. I mean I when buy, was the last time you were on a quick trip? This uh, today. Well apparently you I got looking. the spicy chicken sandwich there. Well you mm. should have got a gallon of milk in a bag. I get the gallon of milk, but in the in the regular gallons now. I'm not gonna well, they're probably a lot easier to carry home. They're way easier for a four-year-old to pour than a bag of milk. I don't know. My four-year-old spills milk just as often in any receptacle ever. Well, I just showed your milk. wife today an awesome thing to put on a mason jar that it looks like the syrup pours from, from Perkins, you know? Mm-hmm. You screw it onto the mason jar, you pour milk in there, then it's easy for that little four-year-old to grab it and pour his own cereal. He, Ben's not four. Ben is... No, it's the oh. other one. Oh, yeah. It's Hannah. Monster Girl, which we're going to have on the podcast. <laughs> Hannah's going to be on the podcast? Jeez. Hannah's my niece, and I love to teach her inappropriate things to say so that when she goes to daycare, she gets in trouble. Like uh, the new thing this uh, weekend is... You're welcome, Liz. Yeah, exactly. I make her... <laughs> after she passes gas, I, she raises her hand and yells, I farted! <laughs> that is just an uncle move right there. Yeah, but she, whatever comes out of her body is something wrong. I mean, like that girl... So it's a warning. It's yeah, not it, like a. Bra- it's, it's not bragging. It's no, warning. No, that's a warning. Like, okay, everybody, clear the room. I also, <laughs> I also taught her brother, Ben. Uh, when people ask you, "What do you want to be when you grow up?" 
he now tells them he wants to be a butt doctor. <laughs> Very awesome thing in kindergarten when you want to put the little uh, the little chalk sign. Butt doctor is, is not appropriate. I have a good family friend who is a butt doctor, and it's a weird career. It's a yeah. fine career. It's a fine career. Yeah. So I say go for it, Ben. I'd say a shitty career, but you know, I mean, come on. He would have get to. It. Oh, uh, what if he was? Nobody, what if he was bend over? <laughs> no, we're not. Be- doing that. Bend over the butt <gasps> doctor. That would be his office name. Ben, yo, okay, sorry, puns aside. Uh, it's hilarious that you guys could have that dynamic with each other. You could, you could imprint these things on his kids. I try not to teach his kids anything bad. You know what you should do? You should teach Levi some really bad football techniques. <laughs> That's not funny. The Statue of Liberty. <laughs> That's not funny. No, Levi, you don't want to do that. You want to you wanna really stand up big and tall and run slow. Yeah. Be a big <laughs> You're not funny. All right, all right, too far. Levi, too far. if you get the most interceptions in high school... You'll get all the girls. Yeah, that's that's what they love to see that. And no scholarship. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, that's hilarious. Yeah. So, where do you want? You said you want this company to get as big as possible, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So, like, how would you see that happening? Like, what does it look like to you in the future? Um, new products. New products. More people. What I like, though, about the the product cycle is that it's not product for the sake of product. No. Like, it makes sense. Yeah. No. When we design something, it's for longevity. Yeah. It's I be- mean, our power precision, not many people know this, but it's been around longer than the company has. Mm-hmm. It was a existing design. It was the first one. And then we built on that being a really good rod, and then we kind of compounded on that. And, you know, like, one of our biggest successes was the bullwhip which everybody loves. My favorite. I mean, it's it's, it's my favorite go-to rod for a lot of situations. And we try to build it so it's like, if you this rod is viable not only this year, but it's viable in five years. It's not like a specialty type thing or it's not fragile. Or it, it's a good, you know, durable good. Yeah. Well, the bottom line is you got to have, you got to have a, a different tool for every situation you're going to be in. Mm-hmm. And whether that's, golf or working on your house or fishing and that's what we're trying to do Uh, there there isn't a there isn't an everything rod that we sell and i know people ask that all the time well what's a good all-around rod well honestly we don't have a good all-around rod uh we we've got we've got a collection of rods that you sure can you use a commander to catch panfish sure you you can Uh, should you probably not it's not what it's made for yeah should you use a noodle for for dead stick and pike you can, but should you? Absolutely not. Um, but that's—I mean—that's why we have the, the whole spread of of our tuned up rods. Is um, you got to have a different tool for for every technique, for every species, for every type of bait that you use. Yeah, you got to have the right tool in your hand to make it one uh, most effective. Two to make it more fun for you, right? Like sitting on a bucket in on a lake is is fun. It's even more fun if you're putting fish on the ice. And, and if you've got the right tool in your hand, that you're going to put more fish on the ice, which means your trip's going to be successful and you're going to enjoy yourself. And, and I, my wife has asked me that before. It's like, why so many rods? And mm-hmm. that's a question that a lot of fishermen get asked at one point or Don't another. Don't you just lie to your wife like I do? No, she knows. Oh. My wife knows everything. She, she either gets it out of me or she gets it out of me. Honestly, my wife found seven number five shad wraps in the laundry basket 
yesterday. I bet you have seven number sh- five shadow wraps in your pocket right now, John. No, I don't. But the, she found them in the laundry basket. I was trying to hide them to bring them up north, and they were in between the sheets. John knows better than to get fishing lures close to certain things. I yep. remember a story about a uh, pink gumball uh, spinner. I, I have was hooked, it? I've hooked myself with a <laughs> Northland, not a sponsorship there, um, a Northland pink bubblegum spinnerbait through my bathing suit. And that's enough right there. <laughs> and the rest you can leave up to your imagination. My dad was laughing so hard in the front of the boat that he actually couldn't help me. And I'm trying to unhook myself through my bathing suit, which was not the thing that was stretching. And it was, it was one of those moments where I was like, I want to die, but I have to get this, this out. This has to come out of me. And I, I successfully got it out, and I just didn't say anything. My dad goes, are, are you okay? I'm like, yes. He's like, are you done Done playing with yourself over there? I'm like, I got it hooked. I'm sorry. There was no playing. No, it was awful. That spinnerbait is still hung on the wall because oh, yeah, I, I couldn't ever use it again. It was it was too much of a painful memory. Oh, anyway, sorry for getting completely off topic there. That, actually, about, that <laughs> did go off in a weird place. I've hooked myself a few times. So, John, you've got stories about about things that have happened to you. That Bottom line is if you go fishing with John, make sure you got sunglasses on. Yep, or flying, if we want to talk about flying. No, I don't, like, because every time I go on an airplane with this guy, something ridiculous happens. When we were flying out to our, our blank manufacturer out in uh, Washington State, and we start to descend into seattle and it's seattle so it's super foggy and you can't see anything and and all of a sudden the plane the the pilot pulls the plane back and we go straight up in the air and look out the window and right to the to the left of us you could so close as the other airplane you can read the numbers on the tail fin you could see the people's eyes you could because then we both pulled up and we went sideways and i said dude i am never flying with you again if we go somewhere else you're taking your own flight. I'm taking my own flight because I don't want to what? die in an airplane. How did that happen? What like even happened? I don't understand. detour up to some podunk oh, yeah. airfield. Like, well, before we go to that, what I don't understand I don't, what's happening in this situation. I think John is jinxed when it comes to no, flying. No, but I'm literally, you two planes doing a maneuver like that, were you landing at the same time or what was That's happening? That's what I think. They never said. We had, to, we had to then, like John was about to say, we flew back over the top of the mountain and landed in this little tiny airfield where Opie comes running out with his... With he was his, in a Chevy Silverado. With, with a fuel tank. With a fuel tank. In the back. In the back, refueling our plane. And then he a was commercial all, jet. A commercial airline. And he was also the guy that taxied us, too, with the same truck. Yeah. It, was, it was a multi-purpose... Like he hooked the plane up to the truck? It was like you? a 1981 Chevy Silverado. It was not even a very nice truck. Yeah, it was, Good dude, it was bizarre. Lord. And you could get off the plane there, but you just couldn't get back on. So then you had to figure out your way, you know, all right, well, you could rent a car there, I guess. But then it was it Toma, I don't, Washington, that I, we landed in? I, I don't. So. That sounds right. It was all bush that's, planes. It was, that's the only thing yeah. that was in the airstrip. And so then we sat there for, what, 45 minutes, maybe an hour, and then took back off and landed in Seattle. Yeah, do you and, remember the takeoff? They taxied us back into a cornfield, mm-hmm. and we took off. You were in a cornfield? Well, well I, we weren't whatever, in a cornfield. Whatever the... the we on crud. concrete? No. Yes, we, we were on concrete. No, that we were not. When they taxied us back, we were in dirt. Oh, bull crap! We were. <laughs> there's no way that we could have a commercial airline on on dirt. Because we took off on a a short. It was short. It was very short, and we were not off the ground until we were like a ways. Yeah. 
So anyway, that that is what happens when you fly with John Burback. That sounds you, awful. You, yeah, yeah. So I'm gonna take separate flights from now on. I well, think <laughs> Tommy is a he's a pilot in training right now. Oh. I shouldn't say pilot in training. You're com- you're you're nearly received your commercial license. You meant to say producer, Tommy. Correct. Well, I told you I wouldn't say it next time. <laughs> I have some insight on your incident there. That's actually fairly standard. If I if I'm picturing it correctly in my head, I'm assuming both airplanes were trying to land on parallel runways, and they got down low enough, and the weather was too low, and they couldn't land. So they have to just do what's called an instrument go around. Totally standard procedure. Take back off again and go divert to another airfield where the weather's better. Totally. Standard procedure that clinched my. Mm, I mean, it's a standard. Not standard high, for the passengers. It's a standard high performance maneuver for sure and it, it, when you're not ex- when you're expecting to land and then all of a sudden you're going back up in the air again you know it scares the crap out of you if you're not looking out the window up in, in the front it's a lot different view from you couldn't the see back. anything it was all foggy yep thought that's why they had instruments you just landed with that stuff they I do guess that makes they sense. do but you only have a certain level that you can get down to before you have to make visual contact with the runway before you can actually legally land so both planes were on the same descent just separate parallel runways that makes sense because the way you were describing i thought like you were coming together like that's the way it felt for me that's why i thought we were going to crash i suppose i mean you don't expect to look out your window and see an airplane next to you no not both of us not that close and then do some crazy maneuver and sucked and i'm assuming in seattle there's a lot of terrain around there so when you do an instrument go around you have to do some a lot of a lot of turning and a lot of climbing in a short amount of distance so you're not flying into the side of a mountain. I think what we got to do, I think we've got to get you two in Tom's Cessna. Nope. And let you guys... <laughs> I am not flying. Let you, you'll do it, Adam. Adam's, <laughs> I'll do it. <laughs> we'll get you guys up there. Let you. Tom will let you fly. He he lets my, he let my son fly. I'm flying up to Grand Rapids tomorrow to go fishing. There you go. Mm, I got a football walk to practice. <laughs> I can't. Otherwise, I would. I'm not going to lie. I'd do it. I'd I have do to it. watch Frozen 2. Yeah, I'm sorry. Too, too busy. Aviation is fascinating. It was my that was my dream job when I was a kid. But now Tom flies, and and I've gone up with him a, a number of times. And the the way those airplanes move, it's just so interesting. And you can do things in them that feel completely unnatural. Things that you can't even explain. It's crazy. Like when we were doing, uh, I can't remember the emergency descent maneuver. Yep. yep. It didn't. There was no my body and what I was seeing didn't talk. They didn't make. Is they couldn't make the you're connection. You're like actually having to make an emergency landing. So it, it, he, Tom can explain it better. But we he, we were up high, like what six thousand feet somewhere in there. Yep. And he, it was a a procedure, as far as I understand it. He was practicing, and it was to it was how do you get your plane from that altitude to as low as you possibly can and cover the least amount of ground. Is that about right? Well, you what what it's. What we're simulating is if you have a, some sort of emergency on board and you need to land right now, like if you're in a commercial jetliner and they lose pressurization, they have to get down low so everyone doesn't pass out lack of oxygen. If you have a, a fire or if you have your passenger having a heart attack or goes unconscious, you need to get the plane to the ground as quick as possible without exceeding like a critical airspeed. So it was like driving down a, a a parking ramps exit, you know, like the circle thing, the corkscrew things. It was like doing that, but in the air hmm. and it felt, it didn't feel like it looked. It, I just couldn't explain yeah, it. A you, different you way. have, there's zero G loading in a maneuver like that. All you're doing is you're just 
you're just dumping the plane's flaps and making it as dirty as possible so that it'll get down quick, but you're still sitting in your seat upright and everything. If you're flying it coordinated like you should, it should just feel normal. And you know, you'll feel a little bit of dizziness, if, especially if you look outside. It, but. it was disorienting and weird and cool. So do uh, you just look at your instruments then? No. Uh, no you, well, you're, you're you, looking at your airspeed. The, your, okay. your airspeed's your number one instrument on that. You just want to make sure that you're not getting too fast. Because if you get too fast in an airplane, you can't just like point the nose at the ground and dive for the ground because your airplane will fall apart around you. So you have to start going in circles and, and reduce the vertical component of lift is how they call it. Okay. So. That, I mean, it makes sense. It just, it sounds a little terrifying. I think we need to get you two in an airplane and I go I was disoriented once. Oh, yeah? Good story. Yep. Good story. Good story. <laughs> that was my transition. Did you like that? I, I thought like, it was pretty, I I thought, it was pretty that good. That was about as smooth as I expected. Yeah. You did good, a nice job good. there. Just hammered it. Well, Adam, we really appreciate you coming into studio today. It's uh, awesome just to get to hear uh, the story of how you and John have you know, come together to build something that is, you know, meaningful to a ton of people. I mean, it means a ton to me and it, it means a ton to other people in, around the, you know, the ice belt and the fishing industry. And I th- just think it's super exciting to watch the growth and to watch the way that you two have just, you know, created something that, that people care about. And I think that story is worth hearing. That's what we were going for. You know, if you get a rod, our, our biggest thing is, is, and I, and I, feel like I can speak for John on, the, on this is that when you hand them a rod or hand them their rod, whether it's a young kid or, you know, somebody older, the excitement that they have in their face mm-hmm. says it all. Yep. So absolutely. Well, thanks for coming in. You guys have been listening to another episode of the Icemen. Tune in next week. We're going to release another episode. Not sure if we're going to have a special guest in studio or if it's just going to be talk. Look forward to hearing from you then. I'll be there. I'm the super special guest. The super special guest, Adam. <laughs>